This is The Guardian. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Uh, hi, everybody. Max here. Uh, yeah, as you'd expect, we finished recording the podcast and then Chelsea sacked Thomas Tuchel. But instead of just doing a voice note going, we can't be bothered, we'll talk about it tomorrow, we're actually going to do a small emergency bit of the pod. Barry Glendenning is here. Hey, Baz. Hey, Max. Uh, Lars Siversen is here. Just when I thought I was back in bed, they dragged me back out. (laughs) Yes, since we stopped recording, Barry's managed to have two bacon sandwiches, which is very impressive. Um, But anyway, let's get on with this. Uh, This is the statement from Chelsea. On behalf of everyone at Chelsea FC, the club would like to place on record its gratitude to Thomas and his staff for all their efforts during their time with the club. Thomas will rightly have a place in Chelsea's history after winning the Champions League, the Super Cup and the Club World Cup in his time here. As the new ownership reaches 100 days since taking over the club, and as it continues its hard work to take the club forward, the new owners believe it is the right time to make this transition. Chelsea's coaching staff will take charge of the team for training and the preparation of our upcoming matches as the club moves swiftly to appoint a new head coach. There will be no further comment until a new head coach appointment is made. I believe, Barrier, in the pod that people will hear, I say, it depends on how trigger-happy Todd Bowley is. It turns out (laughs) quite (laughs) trigger-happy. Yeah, the news came as a bit of a surprise, but not a huge surprise. But nothing in football really surprises us anymore. Um, after the game last night, as people will hear <laughs> later in the pod, um, Tuchel did sound quite a bit broken and defeated and didn't really have any encouraging noises to make. So... Maybe it will turn out to be the right decision. I suppose the big question now is who will they appoint? And I've already heard the name of Graham Potter, which Brighton is going to terrify Brighton fans. Uh, Marcelo Bielsa, which I suspect might be a bit unlikely. Jesse Marsh was one incredibly left field uh, name thrown up. But you know, who knows? Who knows? Apparently Pochettino might be interested as well. Lars, your, your instant reaction to this breaking news. Well, as as my later comments on the pod will uh, will reveal, I am surprised because I just think it's really weird behavior to have a situation where, I mean, the new owners come in, there's no sporting director in place. I mean, Todd Bowley seemed to take on that job himself in the summer. You know, Peter Cech gone, Marina Gronovskaya gone. So, so who's actually been presiding over this sort of quarter of a billion transfer splurge this summer? Presumably, they must have run quite a lot of it by the head coach, right? Because who else is, is in charge of this stuff? And, and to then kind of turn around and sack him almost immediately afterwards is, is weird. Five days ago, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang said it will be an honor and a joy to reunite with Thomas Tuchel at Chelsea. <laughs> Well, he had that honor for almost a week. It's a very short honor and a very short joy. It just seems a little bit strange to me. But, I mean, if obviously with all these decisions, people on the outside, such as ourselves, don't know the full situation on the inside. 
And what we can see is that after immediately stabilizing Chelsea and, and making them solid and all of that when he came in, which I think was very impressive, again, I say this later in the pod, they were very... I don't think he ever made them into a very sort of fluid and coherent attacking unit. Last season, there was the whole like Lukaku debacle that didn't work out. And then you had the whole Chelsea becoming a frozen asset thing that obviously made life slightly complicated. And I think we were all kind of assuming that with Lukaku out of the building and some some transfers that presumably Tuchel wanted in, in the summer, things would be better and look more coherent now. And that just really hasn't been the case so far this season. So, so maybe and Tuchel himself looks grumpy and like he doesn't in, isn't enjoying life not just in interviews but just on the sideline he's looked super annoyed with his team a lot of the time so far this season um uh, Jonathan Faduba who has uh, rejoined us although obviously it's the first time you'll hear him on this pod but he did turn up when we asked him to turn up and he said goodbye at the end of the pod but he has jumped back on this emergency zoom um just your just your reaction please Jonathan yeah, I did say it in the, I don't know if this pod will ever be, the previous pod will ever be aired again, but I did say, is this a bit of a worry for, for Tuchel potentially, um, you know, given the situation, obviously the new mallet, the new owners of Chelsea looking to maybe stamp their authority. I find it very strange, to be honest, like just initial gut reaction. Um, the fact that they've given him the players he wanted, obviously they spoke so much about Aubameyang, for example, like, the, you know, best of, best of pals, uh, Band of Brothers brings him back and gets one game with him. Um, Zakaria hasn't even played a game yet. Uh, of course, um, you know, Fafana's only just come into the team. So seems slightly knee-jerk. My only assumption is that maybe they have someone uh, already lined up. Uh, I've seen the early um, favourites are Pochettino and Graham Potter. I think, I don't know at what stage we're of recording this, but Barry did say on the first pod, Barry did say on the first pod that Chelsea are going to qualify anyway. You know, and losing one game isn't a massive deal. And I guess... Uh, I guess Ted Bowley wasn't listening to that one because it was never there. But, <laughs> but, but but it's true, you know, and um, it doesn't really seem like they need to make that such a big reaction because now the new manager, you've got players that he might not want who come come in, you know, so it's very strange to me. But Yeah, and so many fixtures, right? The fixture list is bonkers as well. He's got like a million games in the next two months. Anyway, um, look, that's a good emergency pod unless anyone has any... Uh, a thing they'd like to add. We'll obviously reflect on this a bit more on uh, tomorrow's pod, but uh, now we'll go back to the start of today's pod, which is, it's mainly about printers, if we're being br- <laughs> brutally honest. <laughs> um, I hope you enjoy it. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly, the Champions League, a breathtaking atmosphere at Celtic Park and a brilliant 40-odd minutes from Ange Postacoglu's men. But just as you thought, a Casemiro-less Real Madrid might get tired. Yes, you guessed it, they didn't. Meanwhile, Chelsea grabbed back the crisis mantle with defeat in Zagreb. Is Tuchel under pressure? Is Wesley Fofana too weighed down by expensive jumpers? Is 60 minutes enough time to decide whether Aubameyang will suffer the same fate as every Chelsea centre-forward since Bobby Tambling? There's a wonderful win for Shakhtar and more evidence that Erling Haaland and Kylian Mbappe are both really quite good at this. We'll look at the perfect World Cup qualifying record of the Lionesses after putting 10 brackets 10 past Luxembourg. I'll hold my hands up for accidentally slotting Brighton players into boy bands. There's your questions and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Lars Sivertson, welcome. Good morning, Max. Uh, hello, Jonathan Faduba. Hello, Max. And hello, Barry Glendenning. 
Good day, Max. Uh, Jesse says, can you do strings version of the theme tune every week, please? Thank you. Again to Avenue Ensemble. We've put it at the top. I don't know, Barry, if we can play it every time. But as you just said before we came on air, you can't stop listening to it because it is truly sensational. Yeah, I absolutely love it. I, I reckon I've listened to it at least 30 times since Monday. And uh, I'm, I'm dead chuffed that they recorded it for us. Thank yeah, you very so much. Thank you again. Uh, let's start in Group F. Uh, we'll start at Celtic Park. Uh, Celtic nil, Real Madrid three. Andy says, "Why can't all games against Real Madrid just be forty-five minutes?" It was a, <laughs> it was a brilliant atmosphere. You'll never walk alone. Was brilliant. They gave their side an ovation at the end. The Real Madrid players applauded the Celtic fans. Um, their first Champions League group game in five years, and, and for forty minutes last, they really, they really took it to Real Madrid. Yeah, no, it, it's funny how there's some things that are. I mean, it's it's almost a cliche, you know, these sort of evening nights uh, under the lights and all the sort of crazy Scotsmen in the stands and all this sort of stuff. But I mean, there, and there is something to it. Like, I, I wasn't there, unfortunately, but like even through the television, you could tell that the, the, the there was a, the atmosphere was something else, and uh, people seemed sort of quite moved by the whole occasion. And uh, they were very brave. I thought they they went out and 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 tried to play football and tried to play their game and. Uh, you know, if a little bit more, um, you can call it luck, you could call it fine margins, you can call it skill, whatever, a little bit more of something going in their favor with the finishing and the chances they did create. Uh, it could have been a slightly different story. In the end, of course, it's hard to maintain that sort of thing for 90 minutes, and it's hard not to get done eventually by the skill and experience of, of Real Madrid. But I, I think Celtics should be very proud of the way they handled themselves here. I don't think that's the, that's the right word, perhaps sort of proud, isn't it, Jonathan? Just the fact that they didn't park the bus. I mean, if you look at the team sheets and you go, you know, Cameron Carter-Vickers versus Militao, it's like, this isn't this isn't fair. But actually, by not parking the bus, okay, they didn't get the results, but they, but they gave their fans kind of what Postacoglu was saying he wanted to give them, which was kind of hope. Yeah, it depends uh, on what side of the fence you sit on. Is it is it naive or is it sort of brave? Um I'm going to go for brave because it's nice to see a manager sort of openly declare that we're going to try and, you know, do our best and, and push out to try and get a result and entertain the fans. Didn't work in the end because they basically ran out of steam in the second half. And uh, I think all the early running they did, you know, in the first half kind of tired them out a little bit, to be honest. The level of Real Madrid is just it's just so much higher than um, maybe what's, you know, Celtic are used to dealing with. Um, and, and so, yeah, it kind of went that way. I mean, Benz, the Benzema injury maybe gave them a little bit of a, more of a sniff. But to be fair to him, uh, Eden Hazard, who hasn't been seen since the El Chiringuito days um, of angry, fist-shaking Spanish presenters getting very annoyed at him, uh, he came on and, and to be fair to him, did quite well, uh, got his goal. And I read it's only his seventh goal in 69 games for, for Real Madrid, which kind of shows that the move hasn't really gone as he'd have liked, mainly due to injuries. But I thought it was nice to see him make a cameo and just remind everyone of kind of what he used to be, because he used to be an incredible player before. Uh, the injuries he's had at Real Madrid. Yeah, actually, his run for for one of the goals, the third goal, was it? You know, when he sliced through, I can't remember which goal it was. Was was it would look like okay, this is this is Hazard again, isn't it? It's the second goal, I think. Um, Bas, what did you make of the game? I really enjoyed it. Um, I mean, I'm wary that Celtic are getting a lot of praise for this game, and I, I'd hate for it to um, go sort of stray into the area of patronizing them and patting them on the head for you know doing well for an hour but they really did do well for an hour and with better finishing 
could have been two, three nil up. Uh, Lee Labada had a, a good opportunity, but shot tamely at Courtois. Callum McGregor smoked that one off the inside of the post, and you know that was a fifty-fifty. Could easily have gone in. Brilliant shot, and Maida came on in the second half, and he missed a glorious opportunity. So even if one of those had come in. Might it have made a difference? I don't know, because it's Real Madrid and they're, as we've said repeatedly, like the T2000 from the Terminator movie. They just don't know when they're beaten. But um, there was never any suggestion that uh, Celtic were going to do anything other than play their usual game. And it's it's a, I think it's a brave decision, but I also don't think they have any other way of playing, because... And Postacoglu famously has Plan A, and if Plan A isn't working, just continue with Plan A. Um, so uh, it's a kind of a free hit for Celtic. I don't think anyone's expecting them to beat Real Madrid, and the the champions class showed in the end. Yeah, it did last, didn't it? And you know those little moments. You know, sort of Valverde's break down the right was wonderful. Modric is obviously. You know, ridiculous. We got all the questions we'd expect. Our mate Barca Jim, when do we think Modric will start getting tired? Bearing in mind he's 37 on Friday. Would you rather have the outside of Luka Modric's right foot, says Johnny, or the inside of Arjen Robin's left foot? Um, Modric is just a sensation, isn't he? See, I, you confuse me now because that's a Barry question. That's uh, that's uh, Modric is good, isn't he, Barry? And then uh, no, no, sorry, Laris, just to interrupt you, you haven't got quite got the hang of what a Barry question is. It's where he explains <laughs> yes. why Modric is really good, covers everything, and then says, Modric is good, isn't he, Barry? Yeah, I, I did think a lot of the answer was in the question there, I have to say, without critiquing Max too much. But no, it's all right. I, can, it's all right. Carry on. And when someone suggested that, just the outside of Modric's boot should really be banned from Glasgow at some point. It's just it's doing a lot of damage to, uh, uh, to the, the hopes and dreams. You know what? They actually kind of reminded me, like having this game on uh, on the second screen, as you know, my, in my sort of childhood and my youth, growing up watching uh, Rosenborg uh, represent Norway in this tournament. Because what we kind of often saw was that they were, you know, they were trying to play uh, expansively like they do domestically, and a very well coached team where everyone sort of runs where they're meant to run, and uh, where the individual relations are, are very good. But in the end when you're facing some of these giant teams from the continent, just the sheer class of some of their individuals mean that they're very awfully often likely to, to pivot the little moments in, in, in their favour. And uh, I suppose that was the story of the game, aside from the fact that uh, Celtic have a lot to be proud of. Uh, Jonathan, I've heard so much about Tushimeni, and I, I wasn't sure how well he played yesterday. You don't judge someone on one performance. But clearly now Casemiro is gone. That's such an opportunity for him, isn't it? Yeah, I think he looked comfortable. Uh, he's... He'll be fine at this level. He's a he's a quality player, um, and I don't think they'll. It kind of feels a bit disrespectful to say that they won't miss Casemiro because he's been such a brilliant player for them. But I don't think they'll miss Casemiro. If I'm being honest, I think Camavinga as well, Eduardo Camavinga and Chouameni, uh, two talents who we're going to hear a lot about in the next few years. Um, Chouameni just kept things ticking along in midfield, and and he has the ability to get forward more and, and score goals as well. He's got a, a brilliant shot on him. Um, he's dynamic. He can play in different positions as well in terms of like, he can either drive forward or sit and hold as a midfielder. Uh, I think it's a brilliant signing for them. And, and the fact that they basically, I think, made a profit 
or roundabout profit in terms of the transfer for Casemiro out and then the transfer for Chouameni in um, is <clears throat> actually really good business for, for Real Madrid. They've got someone who's going to be there for probably the next 10 years. I noticed Ancelotti said that the key in the game was the, the younger players who sort of brought that energy for them uh, as the game wore on. And so even he's already sort of pretty, seems pretty happy with his new, new signings. So, um, yeah. You're so right. Because Barry, before the game, like not, not before the game, like during the first half, I was watching it going, hang, hang on, Tony Cruz's legs have stopped work. Like this is the moment. <laughs> like like he, they can't, they can't. This is it. They've gone. And then by the, they're so unflustered, aren't they? They're just, you know, they're just sort of, you know, they start the Champions League slowly. They just sort of wind into gear slowly. Yeah, but there's no need for them to, to panic or anything. It's the first match of the group stages. Barring an absolute disaster, we... You know, we we could write a list of the, you know, 14 of the 16 teams that will be in the first knockout stage right now. And we'd almost certainly, you know, with a fair degree of accuracy, there might be one, maybe two upsets, but Real Madrid are going to make the knockout stages. It's not Even if they'd lost last night, it'd be brilliant for Celtic. It wouldn't matter to Real Madrid. You can comfortably afford to lose your opening two games, maybe even get away with three and still qualify. So, you know, why would they panic? Um, uh, one of the old ones are always the best. Thank you to the Tin Boone. He says, what should we read into Sergio Ramos not even being named in the Real Madrid squad? Thank you. Uh, we'll get to PSG <laughs> in a bit. Uh, the other game in that group was Shakhtar's 4-1 win at Leipzig. Finn says, please talk about this amazing win. That's the story of this round. They haven't played in Dunyak since 2014. They couldn't play for six months this year. They just started the season two weeks ago. Adam Crafton uh, from The Athletic writing, Ukrainian refugees are in the away section. I spoke to a young family before the game. They're Dynamo Kiev fans. Said before the war, there would be a 1% chance of them going to a game to support the enemy Shakhtar. But now we just see a team of Ukrainian boys making us proud. And, and Lars, they were brilliant in this game. They were, and the thing to add to that, I guess, as well, is that, I mean, they've lost an absolute bunch of players. And one of the things that's um, kind of propelled Shakhtar to being, you know, Champions League regulars and the team who occasionally gets very good results in the Champions League uh, over the last, uh, you know, number of years is that they've always had this sort of phalanx of, of Brazilians and uh, some of them quite good. Some of them have ended up moving on to, to bigger clubs. Uh, but of course, for, for reasons that I think you have to say are understandable, the, the vast majority of them have decided to leave. Uh, there's uh, there's something like uh, is it one left I think in in the in the squad and they have one Brazilian left and they have uh, Lucina Traore up front uh, and and with a lot of players leaving they've had to also put together um, a, a kind of half a new squad really uh, with quite a few sort of unheralded names. Uh, so, so it's quite remarkable that the, they were able to produce this result. You've got to flag up like. This is a collective win for them, of course, and just a huge and emotional moment. But you also got to flag up Mihalo Mudrik, who just looks brilliant. Uh, the, the the wide player who was wanted by quite a few people in the transfer window was apparently at some point pretty close to a move to Leverkusen, but didn't quite pan out. Uh, Brentford were, were involved with negotiations, I believe, late in the window to try to get a deal from him over the line. Um, no one were able to sign him, so he's still at Shakhtar. He scored a goal and had two assists here and just looks absolutely electric. That 
down the down the left hand flank. Um, in general, it's it's an incredible story that the Ukrainian teams are able to play football at any standard right now. And I'd, uh, I, I'd, I heartily recommend uh, checking out our, our good friend and colleague Nick Ames' coverage of this. Uh, he's obviously been right across the story. And uh, go to the big website and check out his pieces, please. Jonathan, I presume you've been following Mudrik for a long time. You know what? I haven't. I can't claim to really know a huge amount ah, about him, but I know you found that your Achilles he, yeah, heel, right? I did, <laughs> Ukrainian academy players. Yeah, he, uh, I didn't know him when he was fourteen, unfortunately. But uh, now he's he's really he, 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 like the way he played yesterday was remarkable. Like he's, the way he stood out, you could see Marianne Shved as well. Obviously, two goals look good. And the, the interesting thing is they brought a lot of players. Obviously, because of this the situation, they've had to bring a lot of players through their academy and, and kind of promote them. And so I guess that team spirit has kind of helped them um, move through. I think it's the first side from Ukraine, I believe, since 2020, December 2020, to win the Champions League group stage match. So obviously they're already, you know, making their own little bit of history here. And as, as Lars has said, it's, it's pretty much a new team. So uh, keep an eye on Madrid, though. I think there's going to be a lot more people talking about him in the, in the weeks to come. Barry, I'm trying to work out how to ask you a question about the Leipzig goalkeeper's error without it being a Barry type of question uh, for the opening goal because we must talk about it because it's absolutely hilarious. Yeah, uh, as our old friend, Mr. Gulashi, who who received a back pass about, uh, he was standing five, ten yards outside his penalty area and he had all the time in the world, all the time in the world to decide where to... to um, play the ball, you know, which defender he'd like to, to pass to or whether he'd like to lump it long. And I think like a kid who can't make up his mind in a, a sweet shop, you know, with limited amount of money to spend and, and loads of different things he wants, he he, he dithered to the extent that Marion Schwed just sprinted forward, took the ball from him and rolled it 25 yards into an empty net. But the thing is, Schwed... There was so little pace on his shot that I actually <laughs> thought it was going to come up short and not cross the line, but he did. It, it trundled Julie over the line, and uh, it was it was quite a remarkable goal. Yeah. Uh, let's go to Group E then. Uh, Chelsea began their campaign with defeat in Zagreb. Um, Lars, for those who don't know a lot about Dinamo Zagreb, how big a surprise is this? How bad a result for Chelsea is this? I mean, it is it is a big result because. I was about to say Dinamo Zagreb is, is not an easy place to go, but you know their group stage record is atrocious. I mean, it, it can't be that hard. I mean, they hardly ever win games in the group stage. I saw them over two legs against Buda Glimt, uh, cursed them for, for winning that. I was very, very sad about Buda Glimt not making the Champions League group stage. But they were the better team over those two legs, and they clearly have some very good players. Uh, Mislav Vosic is uh, is an interesting one because he's very good, but he's also sort of in his late twenties, so he's not quite good enough that a wealthier Western European team will sort of whisk him away. So, uh, so Dinamo are allowed to have him, and he seems to be very effective in these games. He scored a lot of goals in the in Europe for them now. Uh, I'm personally quite partial to to big Bruno Pekovic because he's a tall man who's quite skillful, which is a particular niche of mine. As you know, I like tall, but surprisingly skillful players and he's very much in that bracket so they absolutely have players who can trouble you but there is a reason their group stage record is as bad as it is is because most sort of uh, big well-funded western european teams should be able to go there and get a result and chelsea were just not good again they're, they're very frustrating to watch because it's just it's not good a, not, a lot of things are going wrong there at the moment mm. and and, and- 
Jonathan, I mean, Fafana looked so slow when he was trying to chase Orsic. I mean, he can't be that slow. I don't know what, if it was just a trick of the camera or... Orsic is fast, though, to be fair. Orsic is okay. a pretty fast guy. But even still, I don't know. There was just something about that goal that made you think, God, this... This is like you know, one goal doesn't doesn't explain an entire football team and what's happening there, but it almost felt like it summed them up a bit. Yeah, I saw after the game, uh, Jolien Lescott, who's doing doing some punditry. He, I don't think I've ever seen him so angry about about defending just in general. He, he kind of was lamenting just defending in general. He was sort of saying, you know, even in the Champions League, defenders these days can't you know uh, do the basics of defending, and he was. He was genuinely fuming, which which I, f- I found quite endearing, as, as as he was obviously quite a good defender, and the fact that he kind of had that um, sort of lamenting lamenting the the death of his craft or something, if you know what I mean, the way the way he was so upset about it. Um, but his point, I mean, one of the points that they were making was why didn't he just bring uh, bring him down? And kind of they were saying like obviously Thiago Silva would have just sort of cleaned him out probably and, and taken the taken the yellow card maybe. I mean, it got to a point where Orsic was so rapid that it probably. Would have been risking a red, I think, if he'd if he'd have cleaned him out there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's a symptom of kind of Chelsea leaving everything late in the transfer window. You know, Fafana's clearly not had time to settle in. You know, Obama Yang has only just come in as well. Um, they've got Zakaria to integrate. So I think it's a little bit of a symptom of Chelsea's kind of not exactly ideal transfer window. Um, and also just the fact that then, you know, even the likes of Koulibaly hasn't really looked amazing yet. I don't know if there's something going on at Chelsea in terms of Bowley and and, and Tuchel and and I don't know. Are we seeing? I mean, a lot of the fans were really upset after that match with with like the players and Tuchel and I don't know. Are we starting to see maybe potentially a problem here with with Tuchel as a manager. I don't know, but uh, it's not good times for Chelsea at all, is it at the moment? Um, Thomas Tuchel's hundredth game, Lars, mm. uh, in charge of Chelsea. In his first fifty, they let in twenty four goals. In his second fifty, they've let in fifty three goals, which is quite a big good rise. Stat. I mean, it, it's. Do we know, we don't, I guess we just don't know how much pressure he's under because we just don't know how trigger-happy Todd Bowley is. Yeah, that's a a fair point. And they've also, I mean, by all accounts, the sort of spending this summer, Todd Bowley sort of appointed himself sporting director and presumably and apparently gave Thomas Tuchel quite a bit of input. I mean, we know, or at least what's been reported is that they they, they could have signed Cristiano Ronaldo, but Tuchel said, no, I don't want that. And, uh, you know, it, it, it would only make sense for Bowley to involve him quite a lot in the decision-making. So then turning around and sacking him immediately afterwards would be sort of eccentric behaviour and, and, and just not very smart. I think they miss Kante massively. I think it's the, the he went off injured uh, in, I think, was it the 85th minute against uh, Spurs? And then they conceded, obviously, in the you know, 90th minute or whatever. And they, they even, in that, even in that five minutes, they kind of seem to lose their shape completely and, and haven't been the same since. I think it's... Um, underestimate how much they they really miss Kante in that midfield, just kind of that solidity and the the, the quality he brings. Um, I think it's a testament to how good Kante as a player is as well that they just can't seem to really really struggle in midfield without him. Um, the other game in this group, um, RB Salzburg one, AC Milan one. Um, Noah Okafor nutmegged Pierre Kalulu and then put it through the keeper's legs to give Salzburg the lead. It must be a gif by now. I, I'm trying to work out where on the Messi sitting Boateng down scale this is Barry because you would be humiliated as a centre-back it, it was as good a sitting a centre-back on his backside shimmy soft shoe shuffle as you'll ever see it was highly amusing I'm, I'm not sure if this was one of them but I was doing the clock watch for um the Guardian uh sort of covering all the games and there was one stage I think it was around about say between 
most matches were on either between 53 and 57 minutes and nine goals went in in quick succession <laughs> in various games. And I was just going, goal, 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 <laughs> trying to keep up. And the goals were just raining in. So I don't know what it is about that period of time in a game, but yeah, nine goals between, you know, 53, they're just all going in at the same time. I think that was one of them. So I may not have got to do them all justice. This is definitely too much information, but I went to the toilet in exactly that sort of period of time. And, and because of my current physical state, that, that takes a while just getting there and back because I'm not, my leg still doesn't work. Uh, so I, I missed almost all of that. <laughs> the flurries I had to like, <laughs> keep, pan, in a panicked state, sort of look on Twitter. Have they got the gifts out yet? I need the, I need the illegal <laughs> clips from the Twitter machine. I missed well, all of it. Um, listening to how long it takes last to go to the toilet is a perfect way to end part one <laughs> part two we'll begin with Manchester City's win in Spain this is Paige the co-host of Giggly Squad and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive and June Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box and if you break it down it really comes out to two dollars a manicure which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Man City winning 4-0 in Seville. Uh, the secret dad says, Haaland is commonly referred to as a machine. But what type of machine? I have an HP DeskJet 2724 next to me, which is also a machine, but it's nowhere near as lethal a finisher as Haaland. It's not much of a printer either, truth be told. I think Haaland's like a massive dishwasher. Two goals for Ernie Brat Haaland. 25 in 20 Champions League games. He's the fourth player in Champions League history to score in his first appearance for three different teams. Um, James says, genuine question. If Haaland stays fit, how many goals do the panel realistically think he can score this season? I know we touched on this on Monday, but I, I think it may be a question that we carry on through through the season. Jonathan, what do you reckon? 50. 50. And now, now I feel like I'm on bargain hunt. Any any advances on <laughs> any advances yeah. on 50? I'd, I'd advance on 50, yeah. I'd- I'd say if he stays fit in all competitions, yeah, 60. 60. Lars, where do, where, where do you want to put your prediction? I it, I don't because it defend, depends on how much he gets rotated and how much he gets injured. I, I'm, I'm more than convinced he can maintain a one-to-one scoring rate, probably a little bit more than that, since he insists on banging in the odd hat-trick. 
I think he'll end up getting rested quite a bit as the season goes on. So so it might not be more than sort of 40, 45 thereabouts, because I'm not sure he's going to score or play more games than that. But uh, if all is well, uh, one, uh, generally slightly above one-to-one goal ratio seems about right. If he is a machine, can I just throw this in? Please. He is clearly a massive combine harvester is what he is. <laughs> That just your chop chop just did munch 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 munch. Just give it that, which is obviously a, a, an enticing image, but also completely tallies with where he is from in Norway, which is a very agrarian part of the world. I mean, if you look around, there are pictures of him on a tractor on the internet, uh, as there should be. So, can I just say as well that I have a Canon Pixma MP two ten printer beside me, and if it was even a hundredth as efficient. As Erling Haaland, I'd be really grateful. But on the odd occasion it does work, it would take a week of Erling Haaland's wages to pay for an ink cartridge for it. <laughs> oh, do you know what? I got this I got this other printer which the ink automatically up, uploaded or something. You, you, you subscribed to the ink. And then I didn't want to subscribe because I was moving to Australia. And now I can't print anything out because I'm not subscribed to the fucking ink anymore. Why are printers... So impossible. When you say you subscribe to Ink, and this may be one of the stupidest questions I've ever asked. Not yeah. Ever. Yeah. Did they send you cartridges or did it in some way magically <laughs> download? You download Ink. No, no, no. no you, it doesn't magic it. It doesn't like... Oh, okay, it doesn't, right. It's, it's, right. Not, like, it's not magical appearing Ink. You know, it doesn't... Because I, I think I've been in the office about five times since lockdown. And I think once was for a meeting and four times was to go in to use the printer for completely unwork-related <laughs> reasons. If you could just download that ink, you could do yes. it from home. <laughs> you could, yeah. Um, interestingly, Phil Foden was probably the star of this game, Lars. Uh, yes, uh, even though he was back to his non-passing to Holland shenanigans. Uh, but then he accidentally kind of passed it to Holland, I guess, because it was his shot that was uh, parried off straight into the feet of Holland. Uh, he was very good, Phil Foden. He is very good. I, I think this. I'm sorry, not to not give Man City credit. They are very, very good, and and Holland is so far working out beautifully for them. It does turn out that if you put one of the most sort of terrifyingly efficient goal monsters out there in front of a midfield of Bernardo Silva and Kevin De Bruyne, you know, goals will ensue. Uh, and uh, but 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 I think this game is also a little bit. I mean, I kind of wish we had Sid here, but. Sevilla are not in a good place at the moment. No. Uh, this, uh, the, the, I, I know you can't really expect them to go out and, and even make life that difficult for, for Man City, but they've lost... I mean, they haven't won any of their first four games in La Liga, and, and they weren't at it here. Like At no point did it look like this was going to be a very competitive game. And uh, watching sort of uh, Tangi Nyasu and uh, Carmona, is his, other, his name, the other 20-year-old centre-back, trying to deal with Manchester City was uh, was not good. And bear in mind, this is a team who... I mean, in January, when Newcastle... Was Newcastle were trying to sign Diego Carlos? And they were like, no, mate, because like, we're second in the league. And there was a sense that if things broke their way in the spring season, then maybe Benzema got injured. And if, you, if they got a bit lucky, they had a real chance at maybe winning La Liga. You know, that, that, that That's kind of where the level of Sevilla-based optimism was. Uh, whereas, of course, now in the summer, they lost Diego Carlos. Uh, they lost Jules Kunde. So one of the best center-half pairings in La Liga 
uh, have gone not adequately replaced at all still look a little bit sort of anemic up front and the idea is that Isco is going to suddenly morph into the player he was five years ago and fix all of these things not sure that's going to happen uh, Julian Lopetegui under a lot of pressure obviously but I feel like the club have stitched him up a bit as well the, the team just isn't in a great shape at the moment yeah apparently Pochettino's been contacted about the job I don't know whether he would do you think he'd go Jonathan to Sevilla Possibly. Uh, I think the, the team he, he wouldn't go to is probably, I think Bar- Barcelona is the team that he's kind of against, isn't it? Um, being an Espanyol man. So I, I don't know about that. But yeah, I think Lopetegui, it does look like his time's up. I saw um, Monchi, who's like their famous sporting director. Uh, he had to sort of confront the fans and sort of calm them down. They were very angry after, I think, one of the recent league games. Haven't won an official match this season, I don't think. Um, it does look like things are going badly for them. And, and normally they have that recruitment model where, they don't mind losing sort of players like Jules Koundé because they can instantly replace them. And, you know, they have brought in sort of Tangi Niasu and other players like that, but it just, just seems like there's a bit of a, maybe maybe their printer is not being as efficient as it could be um, <laughs> in terms of their recruitment. If haven't downloaded ink. Yeah, it's not it's not as smooth as their recruitment normally is. So yeah, there's a lot of problems at Sevilla at the moment. They're not, it's not a vintage Sevilla, I think, at the moment. Uh, Dorma beat Copenhagen 3-0. Jude Bellingham um, scoring the third goal, uh, his 97th game for the club, still only 19. Most appearances for an English teenager in the Champions League, equaling Theo Walcott's record. How have Dorman kicked off this season, Lars? They've been all right. I I, I loved uh, Marco Royce's the little touch for the first goal here. It was very, very good. And I think here... Um, with all due respect to Copenhagen, who, who are probably, you know, the, the biggest club in the Nordic countries and, you know, our kind of hope on this, uh, in this level, there was a sort of, there was a bit of a golfing class here. And Copenhagen have actually started their domestic season very badly. So uh, it's not, maybe not a huge surprise. I mean, they've actually lost half of their games, eight games in, in the Danish league. So if you're not winning regularly in Denmark, Going away to Dortmund, probably not going to go well for you. Uh, Jude Bellingham was very impressive yet again, and uh, and, and pr- pretty much a regulation win, I thought, for for, for Dortmund here. Uh, yeah, the group, Group H, PSG Juve, um, was a, an, a, just a, basically a Kylian Mbappe finishing masterclass, Barry, wasn't it? Yeah, um, two first half goals, two wonderful strikes. First, I think it was the first one where Neymar had the little dink over the top, which he rifled home. And you got back into it late doors of Weston McKenney, great leap and header to, to pull a goal back. But I don't think they threatened much after that. So it was a fairly comfortable win. 35 Champions League goals for Mbappe, which is as many as Thierry Henry and Ruud van Nistelrooy, given how young Mbappe is. It's interesting people asking the question, you know, Chris is Mbappe or Haaland. I don't know, Jonathan, if that is... You know, why can't we just enjoy them both? But if you had limitless pots of money and happened to manage a football team, who would you go for? That's really that's really hard to answer that. It depends on what sort of style you want to play. Uh I can't I can't, I can't I'm gonna sit on the fence. Yeah, I'm gonna get I'm gonna guess for you. I think you want Mbappe because he's just more naturally beautiful as a footballer, but you're gonna take Haaland because he's more ruthlessly efficient. The, the combine harvester of goals. Yeah. I was just gonna say uh, if you look at it from a printer point of view, I think I think Haaland will get the job done consistently, but you will get some beautiful, beautiful prints from Mbappe <laughs> on a regular yeah, basis as well. True. So it just depends what you want from your, your inkjet. I remember, Max, we did this weird live show in a science museum once, mm-hmm. and they had, we had the virtual reality guys there who yeah. 
put me in a match situation. It was brilliant as, to watch. As a central defender with Kylian Mbappe running at me with the ball at his feet. It was genuinely one of the most terrifying things I've ever done. <laughs> you looked actually quite a lot like Wesley Fofana defending against Dinamo <laughs> Zagreb, to, to be fair. Um, uh, what's this, you know, there were, Lars, there were sort of, sort of rumours still of, you know, Neymar will pass to Mbappe, but Mbappe won't pass to Neymar. Is this just all bollocks? I'm not, I'm not fully sure it is. I mean, there is the ongoing Neymar and Mbappe psychodrama that's always going to be a thing at this club. And, and bearing in mind the backdrop here is, you know, reportedly um, Mbappe in his new role as co-sporting director and, and king of the world uh, did suggest to PSG that they should sell Neymar this summer. So he kind of wanted him out of there. Uh, and uh, then in this game, of course, you have Neymar teeing up that uh, gorgeous goal. Uh, the gorgeous first goal with a lovely sort of scooped lob. That was beautiful stuff. But then later on in the game, uh, Mbappe sort of raced through and, and could have put Neymar in on an open goal and just decided to shoot from a bad angle instead. And uh, well, you know what? It's a sort of split-second football decision that maybe he just made the wrong call. You know, it happens. But obviously people will talk about it. They they won the game. And when they to be fair to them, which I don't enjoy being... In the first half, when they were good, they were playing some absolutely glorious stuff as well. I mean, that front three, when they do have the ball and when they do get the combinations going, are amazing. It, it bears repeating, I suppose. The other game in this group was Benfica beating Maccabi High for 2-0. And we should mention Alex Grimaldo's l- ludicrous goal. I mean, I don't know how you kick a ball like that, Barry. It was um, remarkable. I think he set up the first one and then not too long afterwards... Um, and this was one of those 50, 50 minute you know, goals I was talking about. So I didn't get to fully appreciate it at the time, but it was undeniably the goal of the night. Um, an absolute screamer from outside the penalty area, which arrowed into the top corner. Uh, remarkable. But the dip goal. on the ball, is it like, was it, is it a knuckle ball? Is that what it's called? Yeah, like- I suppose it is. It's kind of like he had top spin on it, but. Mm. Um, so, yeah, not not a textbook scream or football cliches to be having a go at me for that. I've got that wrong. But um, an absolutely remarkable strike. And he was so pleased with himself. <laughs> there was no attempt to play it cool or anything. He really milked no, it. I don't blame him. All right, that'll do for part two. Uh, part three, Holy Faker others will join us and we'll talk about the Lionesses. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Let's talk about the Lionesses. Faye Carruthers, host of the Guardian Women's Football Weekly, joins us. Hey, Faye. Hey, how you doing? Very good. Thanks very much. So, look, after that 2-0 win against Austria, um, confirmed England's place at the World Cup in Australia next year. On a wet Tuesday night in Stoke, they beat Luxembourg 10-0. I I guess, Faye, hard to get excited about a game as straightforward as this, but their qualifying record of 10 games, 10 wins, 10 cleat sheets, 80 goals... It's pretty flawless, isn't it? 
yeah I, I would say that's emphatic um and actually it's really difficult isn't it when because everybody always talks about the opposition and you have to give a nod to Luxembourg there are 117 in the world um they were only formed in 2003 they're on a very different uh, and later journey if you like than than the lionesses are on and you can see what investment in the women's game uh, therefore does and they were devastated at the end um especially to make it 10 i think they'd have been happy not happy but i think that you know limiting the lionesses to eight i think they had 35 shots on goal so actually when you look at that they needed to be a bit more clinical and they're certainly going to need to be more clinical when they play the bigger teams in in the World Cup and then they have a friendly against the world champions in at Wembley in October. But Luxembourg was still in tears at the end of that because they're ruthless, these Lionesses, and they've got to eight. And those last two goals from Lauren Hemp and Bethany England uh, came in the final two minutes of stoppage time. So they wanted to get to 10, which is what, what they beat them by in Luxembourg in September. Uh, and they did just that, but they probably... Uh, could and should have had more. And actually, listen, like five nil at half time is always like six one full time. So credit the lionesses for going on and, and doubling their score. I, I look, the, the the win in Austria. I guess you can look more into the impact of Ellen White retiring. Jill Scott probably less so, even though she was really important in the the final of the the Euros. Like this sort of new uh, England team. How will those departures affect the side? Do you think? I spoke to Serena Wiegmann about this actually on, on Monday and she said, although they're, they're really big characters in the dressing room, it gives the opportunity for other players to step up in those kind of roles, which a number of players did in the Euros anyway. And they're such a, a solid team that I think it's, it's almost been like a transition phase, it feels, because Ellen and Jill were obviously there during the European Championship, got to retire on their terms which I think is really important and doesn't happen to to everybody as we've seen but yeah I, I think they were on hand for advice for help and contribution to the team and I spoke a lot to, to Ellen White over the tournament about Alessia Russo coming in and, and she infused about her um, and talked about how she is, you know, England's striker for the future, which <laughs> the thing is, Lesia Russo last night, um, she won the penalty for Georgia Stanway to, to, to open the scoring, uh, scored herself, but she easily could have had a hat-trick within 20 minutes and she was fuming and she went off at half-time because she has high standards for herself and she knows that there's much more focus on her now as the starting number nine, which you would expect her to be going forwards. And and in terms of sort of where England are in terms of are they favourites for the World Cup? Obviously, you've got the US, uh, you've got Canada who beat the Matildas in in Australia last night. What? How close do you think they are? And what do you think they can do to give themselves the best chance um, of of winning the World Cup? They're very close. Um, I would say they've given themselves the best chance by recruiting the best coach in the world and certainly uh, the coach that was given UEFA's coach of the year in Serena Wiegmann. Um, two European championships in a row. She's really changed the mentality of, of this side. She has this ability, I spoke to Kira Walsh about it, she has this ability to have ignited a new passion in the players. Um, she's given them a different confidence than perhaps they've had before. They've had more freedom, but also been more disciplined. Uh, if you can have the two together, it, 
it's it's been fantastic the evolution that she's had we're now 22 games unbeaten um under her um and 20 of those games have, have been wins it's it's incredible what she's been able to achieve it's going to be a huge test the, the world cup and sometimes it turns it depends on how the draw works out but the usa are in a bit of transition uh be fa fascinating to see us go up against them at Wembley in a friendly in October and see the standards and see how far we've come. But, you know, there's difficult opposition, but Germany are up there in the, in the top five in the FIFA World Rankings. We beat them in the final. There are tough teams up there, but we're more than capable of, of beating them, as we've already proved. The World Cup is in Australia, New Zealand, and this is going to sound slightly parochial, but... That's obviously not going to be TV friendly for people mm. who would have been watching the Euros here in, in England. Is that a bit of a bummer? Like, would it, would the England squad prefer if it was in Europe or somewhere else? Yeah, I think we all would. But obviously it was in France in 2019, the last incarnation. So, you know, it, it was it was it was going to be going outside of Europe anyway. But. Yes, I, I agree with you, to be honest. It's it's not the momentum that we had from the World Cup in France to then a European Championship in England really, really helped. It was Canada in 2015. Um, but actually, women's football fans either travelled to Canada or watched late at night. Now there's a whole new legion of fans. And, and as we know, for world cups in the past that we've watched i remember not having as much interest in japan and south korea uh, back in what was that 2002 and it you do lose a little bit of momentum unfortunately with, with time differences but it just means that uh, the television companies and radio companies are going to have to be a bit more clever about how they deliver deliver the tournament i think i will say actually because it's so far why the time difference is so big. I speak with some experience on this subject. <laughs> but um, uh, it's in the summer, in the British summertime, I think it's nine hours difference, right? So they're nine hours ahead in Australia. So if it's an 8 p.m. kickoff, that'll be 11 a.m., right? Which is not perfect, but actually it's not like 4 a.m. It's not like the middle of the night. Like those 8 p.m. kickoffs here mm. will be actually late mid-morning. So if England get to the knockout stage, which we expect they will, and those games, you know, Actually, that is pubs open. Watch the game. Have a great afternoon. It might it might actually be better than the ones that are sort of like a seven, like a slightly different time difference. Yeah, anyway, yeah. Well, sort of a nerdy, I, a nerdy thought. No, no, no. I know exactly what you mean. I remember uh, watching um, various tournaments, like when and the pub was open their doors at like seven a.m. for special sausage and bacon baps and stuff like that to to watch whether it's rugby football whatever um and yeah i think you're right actually it will be um because of the success that they had over the summer there will be so many more people who will want to watch them out in the world cup that will do that and make an event out of it than perhaps if they hadn't been as successful and won over a whole new legion of fans over the summer, you wouldn't necessarily have, have had that same support. So I, I think you're right, actually. I'm glad you told me those times because that reassures me quite a lot. Cause yeah. I mean, some of them will be pretty early, but, you know, uh, like uh, if you looked at how busy the Celtic Supporters Club in Sydney was 
this morning. <laughs> they were drinking very early in the morning. One person who will be getting up regardless of the time is Ellis James. Um, uh, massive, massive it is, he tweeted, that Wales have qualified after that draw with Slovenia. How impressive is that? Well, they, they have a playoff, I think, um, first. So they haven't fully oh, qualified. Oh, yeah, sorry, the playoffs. I haven't read the full tweet. They yeah. qualified at Clincher World Cup playoff place, yeah. Yeah, so they've, they've got the, the, the playoff place. They only needed a draw against Slovenia last night, which they got. It was goalless in, in the end. They had a host of chances, so they'll have been disappointed they didn't walk away with a win, but it doesn't matter. It was such an enormous game. Uh, for Wales and after missing out on the European Championships this year they're going to be desperate to book their place for uh, on the plane to, to Australia and New Zealand for sure Yeah, the Republic of Ireland are also in the playoffs which I think wasn't particularly expected so uh, good luck to them Good luck to them Matt says is the excellent Women's Football Weekly making a return for the WSL season can you give us an exclusive Faye? Yes Matt it is me and Susie Rack, I saw her last night at Stoke. Uh, very, very excited that uh, the pod is coming back for the WSL season. We've got a special preview episode on Thursday, uh, which will drop for you. Uh, looking ahead to the opening weekend of the WSL season. And then we'll be with you every single um, Barclays WSL game week as well. So we feel very, very lucky and thankful for, to the Guardian because and that's thanks to all of you listeners as well for, for supporting us during the Euros we very much appreciate it we love doing the pod and we love women's football so the fact we can bring it to you every week is a delight yes we're delighted too Faye because you know you there are lots it. of bits of football no no, there, no, I, no I tell you no no genuinely but I really am because there's lots of bits of football that this pod probably doesn't do justice the EFL a lot of European football, there's a lot to cover and we have three hours a week. And the fact that we are not going to stop covering women's football, but the fact that you can actually do it in granular detail that it deserves is really brilliant, I think. So I am I am genuinely, it, <laughs> even if I didn't sound immediately delighted <laughs> a second ago, believe me, I am delighted. I think it's really good. And I really loved listening to that pod and basically copying all the things you said uh, during the Euros uh, for, for, for this pod. Um, Faye, look, thank you so much. Thank you for leaving your hotel room, getting in your car because your Wi-Fi was so bad. Uh, we appreciate you coming on. Uh, always a pleasure to talk to you guys. Thank you. Speak to you soon. Have a good weekend. Uh, Faker others there. And of course, you can download or uh, subscribe now to the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. The feed is uh, where you, ever you get your podcasts. Um, uh, some breaking news, Lars, that Leipzig have sacked their coach. Yeah, Domenico Tedesco is gone. Uh, this defeat against uh, Shakhtar was, was deemed unacceptable. And of course, not just that. Uh, they've only won uh, one in their first five in the Bundesliga this season, and they've looked. It's one thing you lose in games, but they also look, you know, incoherent and uh, like they're not sure what they're doing, and just uh, things were not going well. Uh, it's been reported in the German media. Bild were suggesting that uh, Marco Rose was a possible successor, which, which makes sense, kind of. Marco Rose actually from Leipzig originally and has coached RB Salzburg before, so he is steeped in in fizzy drink. Uh, uh, heritage-wise, and uh, is presumably someone who could come in and and do something there. Also, I mean, it's been long-running rumors and suggestions that uh, that uh, Max Eberl, the former sporting director of Gladbach, could be brought in as a sporting director, and he, of course, brought Marco Rosa to Gladbach. So that, that all kinds of lines up lines up pretty well. Um, yep, I think I think that makes sense. It, it wasn't going well for them this season, so might as well try no, something new. It wasn't. Um, um, obviously, we'll be back tomorrow looking at uh, all the Champions League games from 
uh, Wednesday night. And Barry, you wanted to talk about Jurgen Klopp, who's been speaking ahead of the, their trip to Napoli. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it, it was just quite telling. He's, he's in one of his ratty moods, which is generally a sign that things aren't going as well as he would like at Liverpool. And he cut the legs out from under some journalists who who asked him if he was you know, concerned for the safety of Liverpool fans in Napoli because um, I think the club have put out you know, some guidelines try don't um don't walk around wearing Liverpool covers colours if you can avoid it. Try and do your drinking in your hotel rather than local bars and stuff. So Jurgen was asked about this and he, he was quite cranky and said, I'm not here to create headlines uh for you. And I, I'm thinking, mate, you're giving a press conference. That's that's quite literally why you're there. <laughs> it's like the postman coming and saying, I'm not here to do push letters through that rectangular hole in your front door. Um, but yeah, um, it's not a big deal. Uh, I suppose he meant I'm not here to, to create cheap headlines to you, but um, it's it's always quite interesting when you're is in a cranky mm. mood because it definitely suggests just, Liverpool are not quite at it. It's very much the printer saying, I'm, I'm not here to print the the paper that you want printed. Maybe we've exhausted printer-based analogies. Now, Dara says, with your announcement at the start of yesterday's pod, Max, that Shane Duffy, rather than Keith Duffy, was part of Boys Life, which Premier League player would you most like to leave football behind and join them on tour? Yes, let's be clear about this. Shane Duffy plays for Brighton. Keith Duffy is the former member of, I think, Boys Own or West Life. He's now in Boys Life. Not West Zone. And I did have my West Life anecdote, Barry, which cr- stop me if I've told this story before. Stop. But many years ago. <laughs> okay. No, you've told all your stories, but go on, go on. I don't remember it. Um, so I was on holiday with some friends in Sicily, right? Many years ago. I'm saying 18 years ago, right? Um, and me and a mate, when me and one of my mates stayed out late, we were absolutely obliterated. And we walked into this bar, and Nikki from Westlife was in it, right, with lots of people, and they had the kind of Irish drum that you hold. Bowron, called they had one of them, and they had they were standing around, and someone had had printed out the lyrics to Flying Without Wings, right? This is quite a surreal bar to walk into, right? And so me and my mate started, you know obviously singing, flying without wings with everybody. I think I got hold of the drum. And I was almost certainly being a massive twat. And so Nikki, in a very friendly way, came up to me. And I mean, this is years before I was, you know, I was on television or any of that sort of nonsense. I was just a drunken idiot. And uh, he came up to me and he opened his wallet and he took out a red card and he just sent me off. <laughs> and... <laughs> and so, and I took it as as if it was Mike Dean <laughs> sending me off. I was like, clearly, I am really drunk, so I left. But that meant that Nikki from Westlife, to get rid of annoying people, which you probably have to do if you're at that level of fame, carried around a yellow and red card in his wallet so he could send people off or book them at any time. And then I think I interviewed him about 15 years later, and he confirmed that that was actually the case. So uh, there's my. Westlife anecdote. Just one other thing before we finish, Max. I noticed, I think it was two pods ago. Oh, yes, it was Robin was slightly mixed up about what the Robert Snodgrass vortex was. 
And we said, he, oh, he's at Luton and he's with Cameron Jerome, who's also a sort of permanently in the Snodgrass vortex. And it's a measure of how accurate the Snodgrass <laughs> vortex is that Snodgrass wasn't actually at Luton. He was a free agent and has just signed for Hearts. <laughs> You're absolutely right. And thank you to everybody who got in touch to let us know. That literally, wherever Robert Snodgrass goes or wherever Ian Culverhouse goes, who is now the manager of Boston United, we get told by many people and we appreciate it. Uh, uh, anyway, and of course, where Jay Rodriguez goes. There's so many now. Look, that'll do for today's podcast. Jan Bednarek. <laughs> of course, yes. <laughs> thank you, Lars. Thank you, Max. Uh, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. Cheers, Barry. Thanks. Well, we'll be back tomorrow. The Guardian Football Weekly is produced by Silas Gray and the executive producer is Max Sons. This is The Guardian.